As you do for your 35-year-old grown-ass son. Sure, she was a secretary her whole life. She doesn't understand presents very well. And it shipped, and it was delicious. It was fine, but it was, like, kind of the worst gift. Like, But uh, it made me think of the greatest gift I was ever given on my birthday. And uh, I was 18 years old, and um, my parents, you know, I got, like, a probably a video game or something like that. But then the real present was uh, they gave me this letter that my uh, birth mother wrote to them explaining the the family health history and uh, the reasons for the adoption, all that stuff. Uh, and it was a very, very, very heavy um, night. You know, like when I'm reading that, I'm crying. It's like filling this hole that was there. And it was very, it was really important to me, you know. And uh, it got down to uh, the part where she, talking about the possible baby daddies. And yes, that was plural, because it was 1979 and mommy was partying. Um, and there's uh, three possible candidates, um, one short, kind of round Irish guy, um, very white. Uh, another Irish guy, um, just another, just nondescript white guy, because they're all short and kind of like thick. And then uh, the third guy was a Syrian guy. Um, and I was like, that's it. That's got to be my dad. And uh, I'll say it's the greatest gift ever, it's just... There's no greater gift you can give an 18-year-old wigger than proof that he's not fully white. <laughs> and it's like, yes! I knew it! I saw like my lawn, yeah! Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a first joke I wrote. And then um, this uh, most recent birthday, uh, my mom uh, got me a DNA test. And uh, I think you know where this is going. So I, I swab it in there, and like for 20 years, well, 19 years, 18 to 37, for, for eight, 19 years, I've been, you know, thinking that I was half Syrian, you know, um, thinking I had something a little, a little spice in my milk, you know, and um, got this DNA, and I sent it out, get it back, and uh, I'm whiter than the driven fucking snow, man. It's just Scottish, Irish, and Scottish again. It's just. It's just, it was heartbreaking, man. Not that I wanted to be Syrian, I just didn't want to be white. <sighs> I, had a, I had a great closing joke. Well, I wouldn't call it great, but it's like I'm half Syrian, I'm half Irish. To live up to my heritage, I just get hammered every night and bomb frequently. You know, it could save a shit set. It's a, a hack premise, but hey. Um, but yeah, it's not even so much like lying to my friends all this time like hey man watch what you say around me i'm half syrian i was lying to myself and that has been my greatest tragedy guys thank you so much my name is tom mcguire jr please give it up for your host tommy mcguire yeah that's great that's great uh, any guys parents here have children any of that kind of stuff no, I look, I mean, I just wonder, because I, I look, yeah, whatever, look around the art on this wall, and I go, yep, I see this shit all the time. <laughs> no, I got, we all want to tell your kids, like, everything they do is great, it's so wonderful, but it's not, you know, and if you keep telling them that, that's how American Idol made it into our lives, <laughs> okay, that's what I blame on it, you need to be blunt with your kids every once in a while, not everything's the best, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you you could do it subtly. Like what I like to do is, uh, 
well, my daughter came home and this piece was dope. And I was like, oh my gosh, I see like this Japanese influence, these blossoms right here, these are great. And I was like, I'm getting a frame for this. I'm getting a frame. I'm like, fuck the fridge, everybody. I'm getting a frame. I'm going to hang this up. I'm like, proud of this. And it, it, it was great. It was great. And she appreciates it. And I was like, man, how, what were you doing at school this day? She's like, we were painting with two liter soda bottles. It's fucking awesome, man. Like I, I'm not. I'm like, wow. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. Why would you guys? Why did you guys do that? And she's like, there's not a lot of brushes in the art area, and we all had to pick a medium, and we were given these different things. And I was like, dude, so that's cool. And you know, you try to be supportive, but then I, when I left for this to come do this, my wife's like, hey, kids, I'm gonna go work out. Just you know, do what you're doing. And my daughter's watching Project Runway. Okay, not a bad show. So she's, my wife goes up, works out, a few minutes go by, whatever. My wife's done running, stretching. My daughter comes up there and goes, Mom, surprise, what do you think? And she went out into her mom's uh, fabric area with clothes, and she designed, like, this whole dress, like, within, like, seconds, right? Give it up. Like, having the, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Except for like, it was like she did it with like stolen shit. It's like being proud of your son that's an artist, but uses spray paint on someone else's wall, right? Like it was stealing. She stole everything, but made it all. And she's like, how are you even holding it together with a stapler? And, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty awesome. She's like, you can't wear this anywhere. You had stapled together. What would you do? And she goes, I'd carry a stapler. What did you say? You know, if it, you just. <laughs> the strap breaks no big deal and so they're telling me about this because they call me because this is a big deal right yeah please call me about the big stuff only and uh i went honey it sounds like it's just a prototype trip stop tripping <laughs> you want it to be functional and everything it was like a project one way challenge they edit that show all right, she got her piece out hella quick. Super proud of her, man. Super proud of her. Because one thing they found out is um, a lot of times women are women are least likely to take risks. A because they're smarter, and B because they don't have any false confidence that is like genetically given to white men. All right, we all think we're important, and women don't have that. And I, I we're, we're, my wife's complaining about this that my daughter did this. And my buddy, he's from around here, he works at Pixar. He's like, we just had a meeting about this, about, and took so much joy in hearing this because it was about feminism and, and all this. And he was hearing stories. He's like, to see that you guys are producing a kid that's just going to break rules and go past boundaries for their vision, that's great. And then I said, and it's also annoying because she doesn't need to learn how to clean up her shit when she's done and not get caught. Like, because either she's going to be like revolutionary and change society forever or be a dope ass criminal. But <laughs> don't get caught. Pick your shit up. Pick your shit up. All right, everybody. Our next comic coming to the stage. All right. Which one am I calling up? Rebecca or Tommy? Who wants to go up? I mean, not Tommy. Uh, Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca or is Isaac? Is she, uh, Rebecca, you down? Oh, everybody, please give it up for Lady New York, Miss Double R, Miss B to the Double C A, Miss Rebecca Rush, everybody give it up. This is nice and intimate. I think I'm just going to tell a few stories. Stand up tragedy is the theme, right? Okay. Well, that's what every, all my stories are like that. But I'm like, this is how I deal with it by talking about it like this. 
I met, uh, I don't know why I'm doing that. I met a kid named Justice a few weeks ago, but it was spelled just us, which is the quickest way anybody's ever told me his mother's an alcoholic. Uh, he was the kind of guy that would have gone to this bar I used to work at. So feminism to me, it took me like a long time to figure out even what I thought it meant because at first I was just like afraid of it. And then one summer I stopped shaving my armpits and I'm like, that's what it means. <laughs> you know, and then I stopped, that was the same summer I stopped wearing deodorant because I was like, I don't want to put any chemicals in my body that don't show me a good time. And, uh, but then I went and got a job at like one of those like waterfront bro bars. Like it was just under a bridge. But I was supposed to like wear a tank top, but I wasn't allowed to because of my horrible armpits. You know, so I just like wear a t-shirt and be mad about it. And I was also drinking that summer and I am an alcoholic. Um, alcoholism does not run in my family, but it falls down the stairs. <laughs> and like lays there in a Minnie Mouse nightgown with his bush hanging out like, oh. And so, but then I got booked to perform at Smith College. Do you guys, you heard of Smith College? It's an all-female college in Northampton, Mass, which is an all-female town. <laughs> and I got booked, it's a lesbian capital of the universe, um, outside of the actual Isle of Lesbos. But I got booked to perform at their Ju School of Social Works Jewish Student Center. So Smith's College School of Social Works. You, you've never seen more delicate six-pointed snowflakes. <laughs> and the guy before me, like, I don't know, you guys from like smaller areas, like in New England, there's just like these road guys that they have an act and that's what they have. And it doesn't matter about reading the room because there's no, uh, that's just what they have. And this guy had an act and it happened to be just about rape and Hillary. And they, I, and he, and they were just like, please, no means no, please stop. And they were just like trying to clap him off stage, and he just kept going. He's like, I'm doing my time, you know, I'm gonna do my act. And eventually, they clapped him off the stage, and I got up like a camp counselor, you know. I'm like, I'm just gonna talk about our periods. <laughs> and it was great, and I felt like really good. And then I had to like leave early to go back to my shitty job that I hated, but I felt like a princess, you know. I felt like I saved the night, and which anybody could have, just by not talking about rape and Hillary. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have any Hillary jokes, and I just put my one ra It's fine. Uh, I made it work. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to work, and it was like the hottest day of the year, and I had a little bit of a hangover, so I got wasted. Like, I drank a water bottle full of vodka, and then I broke into my boss's office before he got there, and I stole a tank top and I put it on with my horrible armpits, and they were like long, and um, I started just like running around the deck. It was like a biker bar kind of, but also pop collars. Like it was a good time, it was real packed. And I started, uh, I got on stage with the band and started singing Wonderwall. <laughs> it's not what they were playing. <laughs> I did that three times before I was asked to leave. I actually brought, a, I brought out a pitcher of water with a cigarette butt in it uh, to a family. And when they asked for another waitress, I like went back to be like, your other waitress will be right with you. Like that's what they wanted to see, uh, my fucking face ever again. And, uh, and then I told my boss that he framed me because I, I still think he might have. But anyways, he was like, I left there thinking I still had a job. <laughs> that's my favorite part of the story. 
was so surprised when I got fired like later in the week. I was like, how could you? <laughs> We're allowed to drink at work. But that whole time when I was like an armpit hair feminist, as I call it, and I realize now like feminism is like being allowed to choose, you know? Like I choose not to stand outside with a cardboard sign um, in the winter in New York. But the whole time, and you'll never see like an armpit hair feminist girl like who's also like random facial hair girl. Like it just doesn't go that far. Even like that brand of feminism, it just doesn't, it doesn't come above here. You know, like, the older I get, like, I get way more chin hairs, and, like, I'll start, like, stroking one thoughtfully in public. <laughs> you know, nobody likes that. <laughs> I get a couple clear ones. Like, they need to go. I'm pretty sure they might be white, but I'm just going to call them clear. <laughs> you know, they, they have to go, and I realize it's just like any other Bush administration, you know, because it's like, these terrorists are fine, right? But that's where all the oil is. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you guys the story of how I met my husband, also went to the psych ward for the first time. <laughs> I know, right? It's because I was a poet in college. <laughs> That'll fuck you up. So uh, in college, I was a poet and I was also like on Adderall, so that's the setup. And <laughs> so I thought I was gonna like bring poetry like back to the masses, you know? I was like working on this poem. I was pretty sure it was the most important poem that existed at that time. And it was gonna be like the next howl. It was gonna be printed alone. It was gonna make people care about poetry again. Just like Adderall made me care about being productive again. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know that poetry open mics existed. So instead, what I would do is like go out to parties and like wait till people were drunk and be like, hey guys, you wanna go back to my house? I'll make nachos, we'll smoke bongs. And then I'd have these like poor people at my house and I'd be like, well, you're all here. <laughs> Let me read you my poetry. <laughs> so that's the setup for telling you I didn't know what to do after college besides drugs. I really didn't. And I met Crystal Meth that winter and that was terrifying. You ever like driven to work and not been able to take your eyes off yourself? <laughs> It's terrifying. I liked it way too much. I was like, I'm gonna, I don't want to be ugly, you know? And I'd also seen this psychic who told me I'd meet my soulmate in three years. So like that winter, I was like doing coke. I was doing meth. I was just like wandering around clutching a lighter. Like, are you my soulmate? Oh! And uh, nobody was. And But then I met this dude who was like, I'll pay for everything. And I was like, sold. You know, I was like, I'll go with you. Like, I, well, what happened? I saw this painting in a salon that I was like, that would really help my poem. And I was like three months behind on my rent, but I was like, I must commission a painting. <laughs> I must get this artist's name. Unfortunately, like later we were married and I found that painting like in a book. Like I thought he like thought of the idea and that's what I fell in love with. I was like, it was a, the yin and yang of every woman. I was like, he's gonna really understand me. <laughs> no. He broke my finger once because uh, I wouldn't let go of the last bag of cocaine. So that's, that's the future from the end of this story. I used to only tell the first part. See, now that's growth. Um, <laughs> but uh, I met him, I just moved in with him. Like I hadn't paid my rent. I was like, I'm gonna get away. The meth guy was calling again. Like I was like, I got this, you know, I'm just gonna go work on this poem with this artist and my life's gonna be fine. And he was like, no more drugs except for weed. And I was like, got it. But then I thought like mushrooms are a gray area. And he worked a lot. So one day I bought a ton of mushrooms with my grocery money. 
and I ate them all, and then I immediately forgot that I ate them. A lot of chewing, how? I don't know. But I started watching the news, this was a while ago, and there was like a terrorist threat, and I was like sure it was for me. So then I started calling the cops. This is truly a tale of white privilege. I called the cops and they showed up and I was like, the terrorists, I thought there were terrorists had put a bomb in the light post outside. Like, you know, common. And, and they were like, no, sorry. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, don't go upstairs, a lot of weed up there, ha ha. And they were like, okay. And they left and then I got lonely, I don't know. I started praying to a portrait of Biggie Smalls and he was like, yo, bitch, stop calling the cops. <laughs> like, that's rule zero. <laughs> the crack commandments. Uh, I called the cops. I thought that my Coke dealer was on my front lawn with a chainsaw. And they showed up and they're like, all right, that is your landscaper. <laughs> he doesn't speak English. I owe this Coke dealer like $40, but I was pretty sure it was a big deal. You know? <laughs> like it felt like he was going to like come murder me over it. Of course it did. So I, the third time I called the cops, I cannot tell you why. Like maybe I thought that they were putting my husband on a cross. I don't know. I was, I thought the house was lifting off at one point. Yeah, I really did. And I was like in Wizard of Oz. And um, I also thought maybe terrorists were pumping. I never tell this part, but you guys are so on board. We're pumping. And I'm getting more on board with myself. This was the most shameful thing that ever happened in my life for like many years. But I, because I, I really believe this and it's just really terrifying to be like, what is it? Like, that's not, mushrooms can't do that. Like, that's also you, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so they decided to take me to the hospital, but they didn't want to scare me because it was like Connecticut, you know? And uh, so they call my parents or my dad and my stepmom, who used to be a secretary. Um, so they call them, and while we're waiting, and also when they brought me to the hospital, they asked me what drugs I had done, and I thought they meant ever, <laughs> which is how I ended up in the psych ward. Because I was like, everything but peyote, yeah. And <laughs> you can't test for mushrooms. And um, But while we were like waiting for the ambulance or whatever my parents all the whole situation there was like 30 people out on the front lawn and I was like I got this because I didn't know why we were waiting I had no idea what was going on but I knew there was like 30 people just standing around so I ran inside I came back out and I was like while we're all here <laughs> let me read you my poetry I gotta tell you they were the best crowd I've ever had thank you Ah, give it up for Rebecca, everybody. Come on, a little bit more, a little bit more. Man, I miss college parties. All right, it was high school, but those were some stories right there. Gosh, mushrooms. Yeah, a lot of good comes from them, but just not for me. I think I just treat my body so bad. I mean, clearly, I don't do yoga or eat kale. So when I do mushrooms, it's like all the magical powers just tries its best to clean me out. And there's like, there's no room to clean your brain. So it's like, that's my detox. That's what I do for detox. Uh, I just started reading labels of food. I know it sounds weird, right? But when, when we got legal, I was like, okay. And I just ate this whole brownie thing. And I had a bad trip. And I was like, wow, you would think being pre-diabetic would have warned me to read the label 
And then I read the label and I said, this is the last time I eat something without reading the label. Now, if someone could just tell me what some of these fucking words mean, I would give a shit. All right. Serving size guy. He's an asshole. Not everyone has someone to share a muffin with, dick. It's one serving. It's one fucking serving. I don't like that guy. Doesn't doesn't promote sharing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know where I'm going. Oh, are you guys ready for your next comic? All right, everybody. He's all he's coming all the way from Oregon. Everybody, please give it up for the very funny Mr. Isaac Pendergrass. Everybody, give it up. How you guys doing tonight? I said, how you guys doing tonight? <laughs> All right, all right. This is this is a part where I pretend that I'm extremely uh, confident in this set. All right, there it is, there it is. All right, guys. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I've had a very tragic life, uh, but we all have our ups and downs, right? And and you know that a guy that's willing to wear a bow tie in public must have been through something, right? <laughs> all right. But for the most part, I keep my head above water. Uh, except, except in this next story. Uh, see, when I was in high school, I couldn't swim very well. Nobody's surprised by that. <laughs> yes, I was keeping up the stereotype. But I, I found myself at this pool party uh, surrounded by all of my friends and this asshole named Derek. I hated that guy, honestly. Uh, but. My friend on that day, he approached me and said, hey, today is a good a day to learn how to swim as any, so I'm going to teach you in the deep end of the pool. Now, now this was my friend. He believed in me. In fact, he believed in me so much that he was willing to stake my life <laughs> on his belief, you know? All right, let's fast forward to the part you're interested in. I'm drowning, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going down for the third time, and I'm thinking to myself, this is how it ends. I'm going to die surrounded by all of my friends and that asshole Derek. That asshole Derek jumped in and saved my life. Now, I don't know if you've ever been saved by your enemy, but instinct kicks in immediately. And just like the comic books, you have to do everything to try and thwart them. So I'm in the water, and I'm trying to drown a little faster. Just so, just so this guy wouldn't have something to hold over my head. It didn't work. It didn't work. He succeeded. Uh, he defeated me that day, and I had, to, I had to hate the guy that saved my life for the rest of the year. Uh, I was a senior. I never saw him again after that. <laughs> I, I succeeded. No, I, think, I think I won that one, okay? Uh, that is until... Well, this has nothing to do with Derek. This is a new story, guys. We're moving on. Um, that is until... I was invited to have a threesome by my half-brother with a pregnant lady. <laughs> yes, this, ha- this is a true story, um, and it's tragic. Uh, now, now, I know most of you are thinking, what the hell is wrong with your brother? And I concur. I I would not have sex with a woman that he had had sex with previously, much less a sex that he's a woman he's currently having sex with. Um, and the rest of you are probably thinking, well, Isaac, if she was pregnant, technically that makes it a foursome. 
<laughs> and and you're right. You're disgusting, uh, but you're right. Um, well, actually, he was my half brother, so I don't really know how the math works on that. I think you got to like carry the two or something. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the that night, you know, bonds were forged on a dark road, a dark dirt road in South Carolina, and I. <laughs> Before I go any further, I didn't accept, <laughs> I did not, you could probably tell by the, self, the little self-respect I still have, I did not accept the offer, uh, but I was in the car, and um, <laughs> and just because I didn't participate didn't mean that anything didn't happen, um, but but bonds were forged, because there were, there were two people in that car that didn't really want to be there, and didn't really have a choice in the matter, and and I often wonder what happened to that baby. You know, because that was almost 21 years ago. That that baby could be here tonight. Um, I don't think. <laughs> nah, she was black, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but yes, that that was a tragic experience for me. A very very tragic. Uh, but. Let's move on to the next one, which uh, actually concerns a baby that I actually am responsible for. Yes, my the, the birth of my first daughter. Oh, I'm sorry, my only daughter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, have you guys ever heard of a push present? Nobody's heard of a push present. Good. All right. I'm going to tell you something here tonight you hadn't heard before. Well, a push present apparently is a gift that you give uh, the lady that has labored in the bearing of your child to show how much you appreciate what she's done for you. Therefore, the push present. All right. Uh, well, I, I had no idea what a push present was. So about eight years ago, after my daughter was born, my wife pulled me to the side and said, uh, you know, you're supposed to get me something for having the baby. And I was like, right, you know, I thought, I seriously thought it was a joke. It was an attempt to get a gift out of me. Um, and I, I don't think that little of my wife, but at that moment, I really thought that she just wanted a gift. Um, <laughs> and so I, I didn't believe, I was like, yeah, okay, right. But she says, no, I'm serious. You're, this is something that you do. I was like, really, people do that? And she said, yeah. Um, but then I I said the cutest thing I've ever said in my life. I said, uh, but I gave you the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it was it was in that moment that I realized that I may not be as good of a person as my mama said I was, you know? <laughs> actually I don't wanna I don't wanna take any credit for that. My wife actually brought me to that conclusion. Uh for three hours she brought me to that conclusion. And every year on my daughter's birthday, she continues to bring me to that conclusion. You guys don't seem to be into my family life as much as I would like you to be. So um, let's move on to another story about my family. Um, <laughs> all right, this, this was a, you guys into magic tricks? Yeah? I'm not gonna do any, but I used to do them for my daughter. And just, just little things, I'd pull quarters from behind her ear, I'd make things appear and disappear. And uh, so she got used to it. And I actually got used to the feeling of accomplishment 
of these little tasks. I mean, you, you know the look on a kid's face when you do something like that. It's a, it's amazing. And so it was something that was a big deal for me. Uh, but one day she ran up to me with tears in her eyes. She was only about three or four years old uh, and just crying. And I asked, I said, what's wrong? She's like, I, I lost my stickers. The stickers she'd gotten from Trader Joe's. Uh, and you know, those things are important to kids. I don't know why. But uh, they're very important. And she was crying, and I tried to calm her down. But then she asked me, she said, Dad, can you use your magic to bring my stickers back? Panic. <laughs> Panic. I mean, this was, this was the first time I'd been, I'd been confronted with the lie that I'd been pushing. And there, there was no way that I could bring those stickers back. I spent half the night looking in the garage, in the car, trying to find those stickers. And I found them. But then I was confronted with a, another moral dilemma. Do I end this facade now? Or do I keep it going? And told her that I brought it back with my magic. My daughter still believes in magic <laughs> to this day. <laughs> because some things you just shouldn't take from kids. I don't think you should take that from a kid. All right. Um, by the way, who put these paintings up? Is it a male or female? Female. Okay, because I'm, I'm going to go look for her Me Too posts on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> this is some disturbing shit. <laughs> that is terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, last, last joke here, guys, and I'm going to leave you with this. Um, I, this this is a tragedy for me because I recently ruined my childhood just this morning. I was, uh, yeah, I was watching uh, the 78 version, TV version of The Incredible Hulk on, on the uh, hotel TV. Uh, do you guys know who the real superheroes are? It's uh, today's special effects department. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, I know The Incredible Hulk is not real, but this really ruined it for me. In this particular episode, the Incredible Hulk was fighting a bear in a river. The bear was losing, but the river was winning. <laughs> the, the paint had washed off of the Hulk's face. Uh, you could actually see the Caucasian around the edge of his clothing. And, and if you look closely enough, through his wet shirt, I could read Lou Ferrigno's name on his driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> and do you, you know who probably hates, really hates the special effects department? The regular effects department. <laughs> Those guys don't get any shine whatsoever. <laughs> All right. I think that is my time. Is that right, Pam? All right. Thank you very much. it up one more time for Isaac. Come on, come on. Man, we grew up different. Not really. I don't know. I feel like he's like one of my brothers that would like dress way too good for no reason. I don't know. I thought of something else while he was up here. But uh, again, this is uh, the Jenner Davis stand-up tragedy show. She's the one that does all the artwork. Give it up. This has been this has been a great experience for me, everybody. I want to thank you for uh, accepting me. Thank you for including me in this. It's been an honor for me. 
Uh, it's meant a whole lot. And uh, are you guys ready for your next comic? All right, everybody, please put your hands together. Came here all the way from Tacoma. Give it up for Jess Everett. Sorry. Sir, you have a very soothing voice that I could listen to for the rest of my life. I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> I, would, I would enjoy that. Uh, I'll talk about sad stuff. I got some, I guess I got some sad stories. Uh, so when I was like 16, one time my mom died. Uh, like all the way, all the way dead. She's still dead. It's crazy. It's like whole one, one time deal. Uh, but so she died and we were like, oh no, you know, uh, and she wanted to be, uh, well, we were like afraid of dead bodies, so we were like, I'm gonna burn it. Uh, so we cremated her into very tiny pieces. Uh, and then we were like gonna put her, she wanted to be put in the ocean, and we we really wanted to do that for her, but like we just couldn't get our schedules together, my brother and my sister and I. Uh, so she was sat in my sister's closet in her home for like three years. And then she had kids because uh, that's what people do to try to fix their marriage as they have some kids. Uh, so then mom got bumped to the garage for a bit, another three years. About six years we waited to spread her ashes. And uh, finally, I was like 22 or something, uh, we got together and we scheduled a day. But we couldn't do like a full day gig. Couldn't make it all the way out to the ocean. We live like four hours away or something. And that's how much time we didn't have uh, for our mother. So we we decided to settle on, you guys know the Puget Sound? The Puget Sound. So we decided we'd all meet at the Puget Sound because, you know, we figured we'd get there eventually. We put her, put her in the Puget Sound because tides and whatnot. I don't know how water works, but they're connected somehow. Uh, so we all met there and we're like, you know, it's kind of an awkward situation, but we decided my sister's going to pour the ashes cause she's oldest or drew the shortest straw. I don't know how we decided that, but, uh, so the thing about ashes is like, we didn't get an urn cause we're not like, you know, the type to display it's like, oh, there's mom on the mantle or whatever. Uh, so they just come in a in a bag in a box, like a cardboard box with a plastic bag in there. And so uh, my sister, like, we open the box, and she pulls the bag out. And what they do on the bag is they put, like, a name, typically of the person, you know, whose ashes it is. And, uh, like, she pulled it out. And, you know, like, when bags are twisted up, they kind of spin when you hold them up. It spun around, and then it was very much not our mother's name. It was not old mom. Don't know who it was. Uh, but we're like, well, we can't like take them back, you know, six years later. I don't know what the return policy is on ashes, but <laughs> kind of stuck with these ashes, not taking them back home. Uh, so we decided to spread them. You know, maybe they wanted to go in the ocean or something. Uh, so my sister, she's like, I'm not going all the way out into the water for some stranger, you know? So she just rolled her jeans up like knee high and kind of like tiptoed out into the water a bit and dumped the bag of ashes out. And the water was still very shallow here. 
Uh, and I don't know if this was a large man or just bodies in general make quite a bit of ashes, but the ashes uh, made sort of a pile, like uh, above the surface of the water. So he's like half in the water and half out, uh, like an island of, of sorts, this person was. Uh, and we were thinking like, well, you know, maybe the tide come in and, you know, take care of that situation it was low tide or high tide high tide it was high tide so nothing was going to happen uh so i grabbed a stick for my sister and i said you know we gotta we're just gonna have to stir them in gotta gotta stir them in so we did she she went out and she just kind of did one of these numbers and mixed them up and now i can't drink chocolate milk Story the first. That's <laughs> uh, and then so later in life, uh, actually just what like four years ago, five years ago, some some time ago, I ended a nine-year relationship, and uh, I wanted to do it sooner, like like at least a day and seven years sooner. But uh, we got a cat, and I like the cat, so I'm like, I'll stick around for the cat, and then just kind of convinced myself I was happy for the rest of whatever the math is that equals nine. Uh, Well, one night, uh, I was especially not into what was happening, and we had been drinking together, and we were in the backyard, and we had a fire pit. We're sitting by the fire, drinking, chain-smoking, and uh, I decided, well, this is as good a time as any. It was like 2.30 in the morning. June 1st, it was like right at the very beginning of the month. Um, so I, I said, Let, we should break up probably, huh? <laughs> and she did not agree, but I, I, was, I was firm with it. Uh, and so, it was, I mean, I was sad too. You've been with somebody for nine years. Even if you don't really like them, you still have some sort of connection. Uh, you know, bills and things like that, financial. Uh, but so we're crying and drinking, and uh, she decided she's going to go to bed. And I just, I was like, well, I'll, I'll guess I'll just stay up then. Uh, so I drank the rest of the beer that we had, and I'm like, well, I should probably hit the hay. Uh, it's been a been a long night. So I go inside, and then I I started to realize, well, like she's in the bed. So I don't, you know, what's the protocol for that? If you're like not together anymore, uh, but fucking my bed, that was my bed. So like, I'm going to sleep in the bed. So what I did was I climbed, uh, on top of the covers, she under the covers, I got on top of the covers and then did like a head to feet sort of thing, you know, like a sleepover. And I held her, I held her legs and cried into her shins. I cried myself to sleep (laughs) into her shins. Uh, and then we continued to live together for four months after that. And, uh, that, you know, that was, that was weird. Uh, the one month into that, actually, like exactly a month, uh, the month anniversary of our breakup, we were drunk again around the very same fire, uh, because, you know, my memories. And, uh, we ended up spending the evening together romantically and uh and then i woke up the next morning and i was like "Ooh, that was that was a mistake uh so more crying (laughs) and then a week after that i was at work and i got a message from her and she was like you should come home and i was like oh fuck uh so i went home and she said i am very much pregnant sir 
Uh, so um, we were very formal, very formal, the two of us. Uh, so uh, science. So we don't have the kid. I don't have a kid because science it's a miracle. Um, and then still live together. For for and then she got a boyfriend. Oh, sad times for old Jess. She's she's moved on. And then and then you know you like you don't you don't know what you got till it's gone sort of thing. And then I tried and tried to get her back and then it didn't happen. Uh, but now I take care of her cats. The same cat we got another cat. Not at, I got my cats mixed up. Uh, we had two cats, but now I I feed the cats when she's away, cause we're still cool. Like you get over things, you know. I got a girlfriend now, very happy, very happy, so happy. Uh, and then, okay, so after that breakup, how much time do I have left? I got some stories. Like one, minute. one minute? Okay. I could, I could. Um, <laughs> so after that, I, I finally got my own place, and then I found out that I have multiple sclerosis. Several, like 30 of them. I'm like, I'm lousy with sclerosis. Uh, so now I got a wonky blind eye, and that, that never come back because of scar tissue. I can't see out of that. No good. Um, but still able to drive. And I take a lot of vitamins for that and have to eat healthy. It's disgusting. Everything I eat is disgusting. I can't have sugar or anything unless I'm partying. Then, oh, look out. A lot of sodas. Um and then uh, I guess I'll end it with, I found out about a year ago that it is very much possible to have a warrant and not know it for like 13 years. Um, so I am nine months through my 18 months of probation. So <laughs> I guess that's it. I guess that's it. Bye, everybody. Come on, everybody. Give it up for yourselves. Give it up for the art that's on the wall. Give it up for give it up for the show, Stand Up Tragedy. Uh, thank you so much. My name is Jay Wook. Thank you, Mutiny Radio. Thank you so much, Pam. It's been a blast. And uh, stay tuned. There's some more dope comics and more dope shows coming up, man. Thank you guys so much. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around. Thanks. Annie. Can you hear me? Welcome to High Spirits. On other days, while coming home. What do you want me to do to see you through? That was a little bit of American beauty there. Welcome to High Spirits. We are starting almost on time today. High Spirits, uh, your show that's ostensibly about sobriety. And what, what, what was that word? Sobriety? The one before it. Ostensibly. What, what does that mean? Like, 
presumably uh, what, what are you what are you a lawyer or something presu- wait, presumably gonna, what what's the other word ostensibly apparently it's apparently you're going to talk to us with 25 cent words tonight is that it my co-host is here uh, want to introduce yourself uh, my name is Pegasus. Pegasus, that's what, all right, Pegasus. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Pegasus, I'm your co-host along with Pegasus. My name is uh, Jay Quellen. Forgot for a second. You're here. You've joined us on High Spirits on MutinyRadio.fm. Sup, Jay? What's up, P? Um, it's just us in the studio today, which is actually a change of pace. Not such a bad thing. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to just riff. And uh, Pegasus and I, we ain't seen each other for a while, uh, a.k.a. a couple days. Um, a.k.a. Uh, yeah, so... Um, we got a lot of catching up to do. Plus, we got this awesome packed show for y'all. And, yeah, we're going to... I have some ideas of... Uh, some conversational things. I'll throw them out there. Just things that have been going on and wanted to check in on <clears throat> some stuff I was up to uh, in the tenderloin today Uh-oh. and some observations there. Um, so, yeah, that's what's going on. Groovy. Such a long, long Just uh, in a short time, oh. we'll be there. I never took you for a Grateful Dead fan. Oh, yeah, Deadhead. Did you go to concerts and nope. wear tie-dye and drop acid? And I have one Grateful Dead t-shirt that I bought on Valencia Street at San Fran Cycle. Get out there, y'all. San Fran Cycle, support it if it's still in business. I don't even know if it's San still in Fran business. San Fran Psycho. San Fran Cycle, in this case. Yes, there's San Fran Psycho, too, which I think is uh, like a clothing brand or something that also made a beer in conjunction with uh, the brewery uh, Anchor Steam. Yeah, it's like one of those Dolores Park kind of, you know, t-shirt places. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah, San, Fran- with us. San Francisco is on Dolores, uh, on Valencia around 20th Street, I think. It's near the Chrome uh, retail store, and they design and produce all their shirts in San Francisco, and they're all about bicycle themes. So <clears throat> the dead shirt that I have that I love to wear is uh, has a has a bicycle wheel with its spokes in the in the head, the ske- the, the skull in the skull. Whoa! So um, they make that all kinds painful. of bike related apparel. They even have apparel for like babies and two year olds and stuff. Um, I mean, are babies old enough to, you know, properly make that decision? Baby. Or are they being indoctrinated into the life of a deadhead? Aktung, baby. <laughs> Homage to those of you who listen to a certain podcast. Um, Pegasus, wait, what? What? What did you say? What? What? Homage to babies or? I have no idea what okay. you're talking about. All right. So San Francisco psycho cycle, but um, yeah, I love the dead. And uh, I think we talked about this. Uh, yeah. We talked about it a couple shows ago that there is a community of sober uh, deadheads that emerged right when the band, you know, was doing their thing, having all these concerts and all the followers and stuff. And they're, they're called the wharf rats and they have a sober corner 
Sober Circle at every show, and they have their own meeting in San Francisco, actually. Um, I've so, been. Have you? Oh, yeah. I, I, I have, actually. Well, I can say that I actually spoke at it once. That was the first time I ever went. Nice. And I, and I did go again, and very friendly, and a lot of dead tattoos and stuff like that. Um, so interesting. Yeah. If you're, and some of that old time religion. Oh yeah. But this is like, like the dead (laughs) religion. Um, the religion of the dead. Yeah. People are like, uh, I'm a wharf rat, you know, this and that. I, I think it's cool. It's, it's cool. Um, there's also, Oh, that's, that's a topic. Um, that relates to something that I was talking to, my sister about the other day or she brought it up she sent me an email um actually let me sit down um give give us a second folks i'm gonna put some music on while i get a chair here get back to the dead friend of the devil Coming back at you. There we go. Sitting down. You can control it from there also. Sitting down. Learning the learning the mixer from Pegasus, who is has a very high aptitude for the sound stuff in here. It yeah, it's all stems from Dane Bramage. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, all right. Welcome to High Spirits, 10, 11 p.m. If you're up this late and listening to us, uh, I don't know what you're what you're doing on a Friday night. You know, well, hopefully you're uh, stone cold sober, had a nice dinner, but maybe you plan to go out dancing. You know, at the midway or something like that after midnight. I don't know what y'all night owls are up to, but. Speaking of night owls, I did, I was sort of thinking about Pegasus, about uh, sharing today a little bit about um, all the kinds of uh, fun things that I slash you slash we do and that people can get up to um, in the mission, you know, that we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not drinking anymore and I have so much fun. I've my uh my whole uh sort of social life is really the gravity has been the mission district for 15 years basically whether or not i lived in san francisco and still come out every weekend when i lived in other parts of the bay area so i was just thinking about how much fun i've been having at different places venues um spots restaurants and with friends in the mission. So I was just sort of thinking about, Hey, well, I'm having all this fun, not drinking, you know, it's a place that one can go. I mean, I spend 98% of my non home, non work time at, in the mission. 
Um, yeah, exactly. There you go. I go to meetings there. I meet friends for food and coffee there. It's uh, There's a lot of the entertainment I go to. I, I go to the Roxy, Alamo Draft House, uh, various other cultural institutions, and it's all right there. Um, my neighborhood, not as much attraction there so i'm i'm here all the time it's great it's the Um, heart of san francisco and sort of i suppose a little bit on the edge maybe a little right off the edge of the mission um speaking of like night owls and getting up to fun stuff last night i was up late and needed to just sort of felt like I needed to eat something, even though I don't even know if I was really that hungry. That's first world problems. Um, and I was, you know, there's no late night eats in San Francisco. There's nowhere to go. I mean, it's completely unsurprising when a restaurant closes its door at at 9 PM. Yeah, exactly. You guys know, right. Unless you're in Australia or something, um, or Mozambique, but, uh, yeah, stuff closes really early. You know, really what I recommend to people would be Beretta um, at, I think, 23rd in Valencia or Nopa, which is open, or Shea Mama. And those places close like uh, maybe 11, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, depending on the uh, the day, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or which restaurant. But definitely open much later than your typical restaurant and the quality of food there is very high. So it's not like going for some junky pizza or, uh, you know, no offense to taquerias, but I've eaten tons and tons and tons, but, uh, those are always good spots too. Good value. But I did discover this place. I wonder if you know it, Pegasus, it's called it's tops coffee house. It's tops. It's on Market Street. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Have you been there? Oh, many times. Oh, there you go. I mean, it's, it's my great. new jam. I mean, well, I hope it's my new jam, like with, I suppose, really like my one friend who I would be hanging out with late at night, bullshitting, looking for a donut shop. Like we would, <laughs> we would be going to Bob's or Happy Donuts. Happy Donuts is depressing AF. Bob's <laughs> is great, but it's not really a place to like hang out. Um but this it's tops place. Yeah. I've driven by it for many, many times and I didn't know what it was. And I went in, it's a beautiful little diner. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I got, I got some of the best pancakes that I've ever had in my life. Honestly. I mean, it's a great breakfast place for sure. All, all night breakfast. Um, old school. It was eggs eggs over easy sausage. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I had a malted vanilla shake and pancakes. Yeah, that's me, guys. <laughs> um, I do not cook. But uh, it was super tasty. The servicers were great. Nobody was in there. Uh, they were just just uh, flipping tiddlywinks. Um, and they're, they're open till all hours, are They said 3 a.m. last night. But I think on the weekend, weekends, I think they're open super late. And they said they get really busy when the bars close. Yeah. Um, but... You know, really good reviews, and uh, my my gut tells me that the food quality is pretty high for the Greasy Spoon. Um, so I'm definitely going to go back. But uh, it's tops. I was just cruising around. Everything was dead. And I suppose on a Thursday night at 1.30, I mean, even the, yeah, the bars are closing. So 
There's really nothing to do. Nope, except uh, go out for pancakes. Go out for pancakes. On a Friday Um, night. Yeah. Um, But uh, back to uh, the dead wharf rats thing, um, that group that we have, uh, we talked about briefly before. Um, That is, as I mentioned, the wharf rats are the, a sober um, community of, of deadheads. And uh, my sister sent me a really interesting email about uh, straight edge. Pegasus, do you know about straight edge? Just the term or is there a group? Yeah. It's, yeah. So, well, yeah. Tell me. I mean, so there's a term. What does straight edge invoke for you? What does it mean? To, what do you think it means or what does it mean to you? Or have you used it or has anybody ever called you straight edge? Yeah, I've mostly heard it um, from, you know, people in their teens or 20s who had, uh, you know, had a bad experience with drugs or alcohol, kind of crashed and, you know, got in trouble with their family or the police or both. And then they I, I, I didn't really I wasn't really aware of, you know, programs at the time. So all I just know is that they kind of like made a vow to themselves to be straight edge, to be sober. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, like they would make jokes about, you know, etching the word straight edge on their their forehead or something to remind oh, themselves. Oh, yeah. And so you do. OK. It's like a really hardcore kind of associated with the with the punk scene, but I hung out with, okay. you know, in the punk scene. That's it. You hit the nail on the head. That's what uh, she sent me information about Straight Edge, um, where it came from, connection to the punk scene. So uh, <clears throat> Straight Edge, uh, sometimes signified by XXX or X, is a subculture originated from hardcore punk whose adherents refrain from using alcohol, tobacco, and other recreational drugs in reaction to the excesses of punk culture, subculture, just like the Wharf Rats, I think, in the dead culture. I wonder what other musical communities, like maybe the classical music community has has a subculture of uh, acid trippers, you know, right? Like in response to how sober and stuffy all the classical music listeners are. I could totally be wrong. If you're a classical music listener and you're wild and you have insights, please call us at 415-550-0511. Set me straight. Uh, you don't have to implicate Pegasus in this judgment. Um, cla- I do think classical music people are so straight edge. I, I think you will discover soon that, that you are completely wrong. So uh, just the, the final thing is the term itself, straight edge, I had no idea, um, was adopted from the 1981 song Straight Edge by hardcore punk band Minor Threat. Maybe we oh, can yeah. throw it on. Um, and wait, yeah, what? what am I wearing tonight? Oh, yeah. What do you? Minor Threat. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is insane. That's a, Hey, that's a coincidence if I've ever seen one. Oh, no, that's a oh, God no. shot if I've ever oh, seen one. No, what go good there. orderly direction. <laughs> um, that is unreal. Pegasus is wearing a T-shirt with funk, punk bands, including Minor Threat. Minor Threat. I'm blown away. Um, yeah. Could we cue up the, the song um, any, at some point? Like, it doesn't have to be now. But... Just be good to have a musical interlude at some point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll play it when we take a break. Uh, At at your discretion. Minor threat. Um, San Fran Cycle, Grateful Dead, Bicycle Spoke t-shirts, and my co-host Pegasus wearing the minor threat shirt as we're discussing the straight edge movement. So (laughs) they coined the term straight edge. And growing up 
Yeah, people talked about it in in grade school, middle school, probably more in middle school and high school. Like, oh, you're such a straight edge, or um, really like that. People calling me straight edge, and I was a prep preppy guy. You know, um, I was straight edge, but I I I did listen to um, some mainstream punk music. Um, hey, does anybody remember the album Punks and Drublick? I don't even know if punk people consider that a punk punk band. Um, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so people called me straight edge cause I tucked in my sweaters and I got straight A's, but I had no idea. No one ever intimated or, or suggested to me, my peers that straight edge came from, uh, was a punk subculture of sobriety. I didn't even know it was associated with sobriety. I thought it was like, like get being a goody two shoes. Well, I would say that in addition to, you know, being all fuck you to authority and and society in general, they were probably also fuck you to the sober community of Alcoholics Anonymous. You think so? Yeah, because that, that would also be too, you know, goody two shoes and square <laughs> okay. to them. So they had to pick their own name for it. Yeah. And they, they ha- it had to be punk. It had to be, you know, fucked up in some way, um, you know, like, like you had to be completely straight edge and if you even smoked you know took a puff off of a friend's cigarette um you you had broken your your straight edge yeah actually to to that point there was a counter counter movement that emerged called bent edge and bent edge is that person who felt it was okay in the punk scene of straight edge subculture to um take that drag off the cigarette Take that occasional puff. Also, I just wanted to mention that there was a strong association with um, the subculture of straight edge, even with you know participants or adherents to vegetarianism and animal rights and veganism and stuff like that. So that was fascinating to me. You know, I think of punks. I mean, I have some familiarity with the music or I had some friends who were maybe into that scene. Um, I can't really say that I'm too expert at it but i do somehow associate punks with like skinheads and intolerance and i don't know why that is where does that come from american history x is that where i saw that yo fuck you yeah um but i love i mean there's uh, yeah there's been great punk music that i've heard such as bad brains American History X came a pretty long time after the punk where was the sex pistols punk uh, Sex Pistols. Um, oh, the Ramones. The Ramones. No, yeah. I mean technically, yeah, they're they're kind Jackie's of Jackie's a punk. Judy's a punk. They even say punk. They <laughs> they're pretty pop music. Okay, uh, that's compared, what it is compared with is, like um, hardcore punk. Is Blink One Eighty Two punk? What <laughs> is uh, fuck you, uh, man? Rancid is punk, right? Uh, not really. Oh, jeez. Never really checked them man, out. Have I been living a lie? <laughs> a big straight edge lie. Punk existed from like, I don't know, the mid seventies until like 1981 or 82 and everything that came after that. They're all oh, posers. Post punk. They're posers. They're, you know, like green day. Come on. That's just a rock band. That's posing. Well, that's alternate alternative alternative. You wouldn't believe how many people have said, Oh yeah, I'm into punk. I listen to green day. And and offspring I'm like, too. fuck you. I think people would say offspring. They're like, Oh yeah. But, that reminded me of, yeah, so so basically, 
the other runts in the litter, the other kids I was growing up with, like the skaters and stuff who called me, well, they're not the only ones who called me straight edge, but it was, it was wrong. It was, it was hey, not, straight edge. it was not used correctly because I'm not in the punk scene. <laughs> so I was getting called straight edge for no good reason. Maybe they're just kind of generalizing it yeah. to, to say that you looked straight. Oh yeah. A LGBTQR code. Um, <laughs> as opposed to, Oh boy, that's a whole thing. I listened to, uh, the new Dave Chappelle Netflix special, which I think is like people I think have found it to be very controversial and offensive. Uh, and I will say that I really enjoyed it. And there is a whole thing about the LGBTQ community and stuff like that. And I went down the rabbit hole of like, what do all the letters mean? And um, then I discovered that today the most comprehensive thing that I saw was L G B T Q Q I A A plus. That was the most, that's currently the most comprehensive, most inclusive. Um, yes. Before, you know, let's say it was just G or something, right. Or Q. And here's what I learned. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, queer or questioning QQ people have been, um, using just the one Q and meaning questioning or meaning queer. This is what I read and, um, anecdotally from other people that I know. So QQ, double Q, double Q, I is intersex mm. and a is asexual and the other a is something else, but oh man, in that I'm not including some other things such as pansexual, pan-romantic, a-romantic. There's so much stuff. I saw somebody on um, Hinge the uh, today that came up, uh, and um, the, the, there was something new and, and very timely, uh, having researched this, uh, the uh, all this stuff post-Dave Chappelle controversial comedy set, um, where he talks about you know, the LGBT community, he says it's like the alphabet people or something like that. Anyways, I wanted to get more educated on um, what they all mean and how people like self-identify and stuff like that. Well, that's cool. That's a, that's a, that's, I think that's a smart thing to do. I mean, they're, they're, it's hard to be right about it all the time, but it's good to be just, you know, be open and uh, have an open heart. Um, Cause you know, a lot of people from, communities of uh you know from the queer communities communities of color that they're, they're they don't feel welcome they don't feel like the the world is necessarily open to them and i think it's good to throw a little love their way and you know oh yeah the other uh, one of the a's that's thrown in in the comprehensive one is ally oh, asexual ally, ally. Hmm. I, I was surprised so that was oh, thrown that in sense. the mix and the plus is like for everything that hasn't come out yet or hasn't been covered um, and, uh, I will say, so on the heels of that, Dave Chappelle followed by going down the rabbit hole and learning about what the quote, you know, the community or the movement, you know, on the web is, uh, how, how it, they're representing themselves, um, maybe officially or branding or whatever. And then on the hinge profile, this person had a comment about, a romantic pansexual. So this person was 
um, you know, said that they're looking for looking for love, a pansexual a- friendship, and an aromantic. I don't know, man. I was no confused. attachments. I was confused. They w- they want sex with everybody with no attachments. I don't know. Good for them. No, no, no. They were ace. Okay, asexual. Pan romantic. I don't know. Anyways, so sue me, folks. Um. So yeah. So yeah. Lots of different things. And then on the on that topic, you know, connecting it to sobriety. Um, there is uh, there are uh, meetings, all kinds of meetings out there. Men's meetings, women's meetings, um, young people's meetings. And we meant the aforementioned uh, deadhead meetings, the wharf rats. And uh, there's uh, all kinds of meetings. Um, and also there are gay meetings. And there's places where um, people who are, you know, identify as gay or perhaps, you know, other members of the LGBTQ community have safe spaces and, and interest affinity groups around meetings and I've gotten to attend um when I when I was exploring the San Francisco scene um meeting scene I uh I definitely put a lot of I I I went to um um one of the fellowships in the Castro and and uh tried out all these different kinds of meetings including uh gay meetings and it was cool yeah it's not not in my repertoire these days but did you feel welcomed? Yeah. Yeah. Over. I mean, my, the short answer is yes. I think that, um, and you know, I guess, I mean, I suppose, I mean, I identify, yeah, I identify pretty straight edge, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Um, that doesn't mean what you think it means. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're just mixing malapropisms, just mixing stuff up, anachronisms, malapropisms, but, uh, I did overall. Yeah, I felt it was welcoming. I thought there was a lot of cool insights. I mean, dude, we're all, we're all human beings. And, but, uh, of course there's unique stuff in, uh, different lifestyles and experiences and romance and all that kind of stuff. And I, there were definitely things where I didn't feel as, uh, didn't feel that some things were as relatable, but a lot, but I think mostly it was the kind of topics and things that came up were very familiar and, relatable and it's all part of our broader community so it's you know it's it's just another meeting but it's really cool that there are all these interest groups in fact um yeah well um yeah so yeah it's uh there's there's meetings for everybody um in this town including uh well aa is known for being very, uh, you know, very much about uh, having a higher power, and there are meetings for people who don't have higher powers, yeah. and that's a good thing. Yeah, there's meetings in Spanish. There's oh, meetings yeah. in uh, there's a I think there's a Croatian meeting, um, or yeah. Uh, anyways, there there are meetings in a variety of different languages. There's um, meetings for people of color. There's meetings for um, right for gay folks, for lesbians, for people who want to meditate, for people who 
are Buddhist. Um, there's Refuge Recovery. There's Life Ring, oh, yeah, smart which is recovery, yeah. Smart Recovery. Life Ring, which is, I guess, sort of a cognitive behavioral therapy that comes with a workbook and stuff. And it's all there's a lot to choose from here, and that's really kind of remarkable. I yeah. guess it's what you'd expect in 2019. Oh, yeah. That there's uh, just a lot to choose. You know, there's a, a it's a big smorgasbord. You don't have to go with the one size fits all AA, um, you know, prescription of you know go to traditional meetings and uh, you know and stick with that program. You can choose what works for best for you, and and you don't have to worry about whether other people will judge you for it because you'll be doing your own thing. Um, thanks for sharing about all those. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, um, yeah, all the different ways I was, I just subjected one of my friends, uh, to, well, my roommate, um, who's a good friend, um, to just, I just was, we, well, we were in a discussion. Maybe I wasn't torturing him, but he, he was a willing participant in, and like hours long discussion about recovery and, the program and my experience and other people's experiences and just all kinds of stuff. And I mean, he's a normie and, uh, we've talked about that normal people are not addicts and alcoholics, <laughs> but, uh, and have like a healthy relationship or just a low key relationship with that stuff. But, um, so it was uh, really in depth and actually, um, super cool. Some, some cool things ca came up. Um, my mom says, do not repeat one thing too many times. Just make sure and remember, am I repeating myself? <laughs> That's, um, she's listening. I think and, between the two of us, we've <laughs> gone back and forth oh. over some of the same territory a few times. Oh, yeah. that's what she's saying. Normies and Grateful Dead. Oh my God. She's such a, she's an avid listener and she's checking me right now. On One of these days we're going to work up an agenda before we sit down in front yeah. of the microphones. Yeah, we will. Um, and, but just wanted to, yeah, this is like a stream of consciousness today, but, um, yeah, today talked about, we got into talking about, you know, does it work for everyone? How does it work? What else is out there? So, yeah, I think, uh, my, I was talking about uh, rehab became a big point a focal point of the conversation. And I was sharing with him about all this stuff I've learned anecdotally about rehab. And, um, I don't have any experience with it, but inevitably in the rooms and, and in this journey, this wonderful journey of sobriety and recovery, um, you, people have had experiences in uh, rehab facilities, whether they are community-based or private organizations, you know, nonprofit, for-profit, whatever. And, um, I definitely have, uh, I have a mixed feelings about the industry and, um, all the offerings out there. And I was expressing that and he was like, Hey, you know what? A lot of what you're saying and talking about was, co is covered in a, in one of the John Oliver, late night, uh, John Oliver, uh, you know, he has some show on HBO. Oh, he's right? that guy with the, uh, the fake British accent yeah. who claims to be from Great Britain. Yeah, I guess so. And was on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, actually. Oh, is uh, that show still produced? 
I don't know. I think they did a season nine or eight. I don't know if it's gonna. They're gonna come out with another season. But um, so John Oliver did a really great. I hope you guys. If anybody's listening out there, <laughs> I hope uh, you guys will go look up on YouTube. Just look up the keywords John Oliver Rehab, and you know he he pulls all these. Um, Stories from, say, Vice or uh, Frontline and all these interviews that other people have done. And he, you know, he's really, it was a critique. I mean, it's an understatement to say that he was providing a very strong rebuke and critique of what is a high, uh, an unregulated industry. So some of the fun facts he threw out was that there were 14,500 rehab centers across the United States. So, and that it's grown very rapidly over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and that the industry is a $35 billion industry in the country. Dude, we're totally missing out on this with what we know. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) unfortunately there are these traditions in, in the program that prohibit, prohibit us presumably from making a profit off of um oh pegasus just passed me my Lacroix. and by the way thank you pegasus for getting me tots and ketchup <laughs> from our favorite spot and they're ex- especially crunchy even though they're at room temperature now yeah. they're even crunchier than than when they're hot out of the fryer well that's because we dipped them in shellac before oh, we brought them excellent. over excellent yeah. lacquer lacquer um oh on that note i got my first mani pedi in my life uh, in in uh, in the neighborhood, oh! Last week when I was off for Labor Day weekend, uh, it just mentioned that because I think they put a clear coat or shellac or something on people's nails, and I was like, they asked me sort of with some trepidation, and I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. I'm gonna just go with uh, no no uh, uh, veneer or uh, shiny whatever. So what you're telling us, you went all the way to the brink, and then you said no? Went to the brink. Jeez. Um, so $35 billion industry and unregulated, and they really focused on all the unscru- unscrupulous operators out there, um, citing, they they invo- um, showed us, you just got to go and watch it, but uh, advertising, yeah. Yeah, we could play it, but it's a 20-minute segment. Maybe if we run out of things to do, we could play towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, just the audio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. If we decide to end early, we can just play that as our outro. (laughs) Um, But uh, I have a tater in my hand right now, and I really just don't want to stop talking and just eat it. I'm salivating. But um, I'll just just say that uh, the the rehab thing... um, it, it confirmed a lot of stuff that I had learned or gleaned anecdotally from compatriots and through um, work I've done. I think, you know, there's this whole thing called H&I, Hospitals and Institutions, and it's where you bring meetings into not rehabs per se. I don't really know. Maybe they do. But, but to, no, actually, it's like to... Uh, Veteran VA run meetings, uh, state prisons, federal prisons, recovery homes that are related to um, maybe some government related uh, diversion program or something like that. So Mm -hmm. anyways, um, uh, 
what he cited like all these interviews with all these people who came across as major douchebags that own these rehabs like in Malibu and LA and 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 that charge seventy thousand dollars. One place uh, apparently charges seventy thousand dollars per month. Yikes! Yeah, and offers like. You know, he was he was poking fun at things like equine therapy. I don't know, hydrotherapy, um, you know, yoga, all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, all this stuff. I'm sure he was saying so many things can be therapeutic, but are they coming from an evidence based, you know, approach? Um, And, you know, that's a whole perhaps a whole other topic, because, you know, are you saying you would turn down a, a hands on prayer healing? prayer healing would you uh, do they do that i i would assume it's out there having grown up uh in a community that offered that sort of mm. thing i'm i'm i would not be surprised to find wow. that there's a rehab yeah, center sure, that, right. that's faith-based mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah totally totally yeah absolutely then let me google that for you they actually didn't talk about the uh, the faith-based side but but basically they really they really focused on these douchebags running these seventy thousand dollar rehabs that's like two and a half grand a day and i mean that's that's more expensive than my habit was (laughs) dude i mean that's yeah that's uh yeah um and you know they're talking about no standards uh no clinicians involved um no regulation also that you know what are the motives you know there's a profit motive um and that you know maybe even there's there may be insidiousness in some rehabs to want people to relapse and come back and spend another thirty forty thousand dollars on rehab and it got me thinking about in this conversation with my roommate what a desperate position that we're in you know and this ad comes on for a rehab and it says why haven't you called us here's our toll-free number you need to come here. We'll we'll help you solve your um, alcohol and addiction problems. And um, I mean, I was thinking, wow, what a desperate situation. If I was sitting there and I was just just down and out, you know, I don't know, suicidal or crying or whatever, just hopeless. And I saw that, and I called them, and like I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. Um, and then, as a as an exercise, I was just thinking about um, how much money am I spending in the program, you know, right? Well, so not not a lot of money compared to $70,000 for 30 days. And what I, what I came up with, okay, I I will or won't go into the details, but okay. I'm just, I'm just saying somebody who came in and has, has stayed or has, is, you know, sober for 30 years by my estimate has spent a maximum of $7,500 uh, through, through, uh, you know, a seventh tradition of, I'm, I, here's what I was assuming $1 a meeting, five meetings a week, 50 weeks a year for 30 years, plus a $10 big book. The big book costs $10. Okay. But now I want to, I want to have some caveats. I'm not saying that we're in an evidence-based, you know, program and I have researched PubMed periodically to try to understand um, I don't really concern myself too much with it, but I am interested in, in learning about, you know, um, you know, doctors refer people to AA judges in courtrooms, refer people to AA rehabs, refer people to AA the Salvation Army refers people to AA, you know, and it's sort of like, 
you know, what is, what else is out there? And it's like, um, I know I'm all over the place, but it was just very exciting. Therapy is super important. You know, it, oh, sorry, it was important for me. I'll say that, mm-hmm. um, cognitive behavioral therapy, anger management, um, mindfulness meditation, Vipassana specifically, um, AA, um, all of this was like a full court press. I wasn't just doing one thing and man, that shit saved my ass, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And therapy was a big, big part of it. And I guess I would just through this whole conversation with my roommate and watching the John Oliver thing and thinking about the controversies that I feel in my heart about the rehab industry. Um, and, uh, and, you know, again, Hey, if any, if anyone has experience with that and is listening to us or has any comments, you know, call us at four one five 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 zero zero five one one and tell us about your rehab experiences. Maybe we should have somebody on, um, that has rehab experience. I figure I've spent about three grand over the past six years. Um, I, I tend to put a little, well, oh, like six, you're three, generous, like three or four bucks, uh, per meeting. Um, so I, I Googled, uh, re- faith-based rehab hmm. and first the ads come up and, um, I won't call out the names of the centers, but I'll uh, I'll read some. Hey, of why their... not? Free speech radio. No, it's your your choice. No, I don't want to yeah. be connected. You know, oh, or have them calling us or it's not Thank like you. A, an endorsement or anything. You're so right, Pegasus. Yeah. So uh, get this on the, the very first ad. It says same day admission is possible. Drug and alcohol rehab center in somewhere in California. Our location and exclusiveness is hard to beat. Maximum of six clients per resident. What does that mean exactly? Six six clients in a hacienda? Like, do you get your own separate... Oh, private rooms, cell and laptop friendly, licensed and accredited, whatever that means. Luxurious private rooms. How licensed nice. and accredited? I wonder what that is. Insurance verification form to fill oh, out. Mm-hmm. That's uh, what John Oliver was talking about, too, is that he said that... I look forward to digging in, into all of this, but I'm taking him at his word, folks, right now. And... He said that under the Bush administration, that there was a lot of, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but policies instituted to get insurance companies to cover uh, rehab-related expenses. And, um, and then that was extended under Obama as well. This is what John Oliver said. So then he got into the whole thing about milking insurance or bilking insurance. And also he got into this whole thing about how much... P-testing urine cups, urine analysis makes for for rehabs. Um, there's this whole market with the testing companies, and they're oh, making yeah. a ton of money. And, yeah, anyways. Uh, it's yeah. absurd. It's, uh, a, like, just to get P-testing done here in San Francisco, it it can, you know, you can spend $100. Wow. I, I think there's, like, bulk plans. But what's the... The, for me, the greatest cliche that comes to mind when I think about rehab is is a, t- a television cliche, a trope of, you know, the the wealthy, uh, yeah. you know, kid from a family who's got his cell phone and he's ordering up coke and weed, you know, while while he's you know getting somebody else to pee in the cup for him and. You yeah, know, some Laguna Beach, something. Totally. It's like a, you know, it's just sort of like a vacation, a freewheeling vacation for the wealthy. I, I do agree that that's like. a stereotype and a, and a prominent media representation. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that there's people who go to a rehab and they get a lot from it. Like, Oh, yeah. I don't want to completely 
trash it. And I would love for somebody to call in and share about their positive or negative experiences. We do meet a lot of people in meetings in the Bay Area who come from rehab centers. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, um, I think, state-funded rehab centers and, you know, like uh, insurance-funded. And so these are for people who couldn't afford $70,000 for 30 days of of rehab. These are people who, you know, desperately needed the help mm-hmm. and their Medi-Cal plan covered it or their, you know, whatever Ob- Obamacare insurance plan they had covered it. And and some of them show up and they get it. They get the idea of 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 sobriety and and, you know, doing whatever particular program they're doing and they you know and they keep coming back and some of these people have stayed in for years Uh, oh sure it's really nice yeah it's sort of like i think probably i can only imagine that one thing quote we would say in the community is like well whatever brought you in and whatever's working for you that's probably within um some ethical guidelines and doing no harm to other people and improving yourself like whatever works um yeah but i was thinking that uh I can only imagine that I, I, I'm just going to venture a guess that most of these rehabs or sober living experiences are 12, influenced by the 12-step programs or 12-step based. I mean, I've definitely seen that they encourage their clients, participants, members to go out to meetings, you know, get get slips signed, things like that. So, so they are putting some faith in stock. In the program, and I, I've also seen in my limited experience going in to do service work that uh, there are counselors like LCSWs, licensed uh, something social workers, social workers, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and MFTs and and <clears throat> other people who are encouraging that as well, and offering I think counseling and therapy and other supportive services. Uh, yeah. Um. But I, I also heard, I mean, I don't know. I've just like, I suppose that I have formulated this opinion. This is my opinion um, based on whatever information that I have that there is this dark side to it. And I guess, I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm just sharing about what's what, where I'm coming from. And I suppose I do have this kind of like, I, I could be wrong, Um but like this, this militancy, Pegasus won't be surprised. I think that's sort of like, you got to just come into the program and keep your head down and do this thing. You don't need to go to rehab, whatever. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to be, I don't want to be intolerant. I want to be loving and accepting. And, but I, that's somewhere in the back of my mind, if I'm completely honest, you know, I think some people <laughs> need a lockdown. They need to be locked down right. to, to lose the access, right. the ready access. That's a good point. And in some of the programs, uh, I don't want to mention any names, but, you know, there's a couple of really prominent ones here in San Francisco. And okay. uh, one of them, they do put you on lockdown for 30, sometimes 60 wow. days and, and, you know, no access to phones or the Internet. Um, I think supervised access to the Internet to send email to your family, um, but no going outside. Uh, you know, you're pretty much just confined to quarters and then. You know, then they let you off it and boom, you can go out to meetings for a couple of hours. It's neat. Right. Yeah. No, when you mentioned that, actually, I think to myself, like I could definitely, I mean, even today in my life or irrespective of sobriety, I could use a lockdown where I'm not glued to my phone. So I (laughs) I see great benefits for that uh, 
Re- from recovery or otherwise about being present and connecting with what matters and not having distractions and not being around unsafe environments. So you make a good case there. Yeah. Where's your willpower, son? Oh, man. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Whoever, whoever and wherever you are out there, you got to watch this John Oliver thing and Pegasus. You got to watch it uh, because he also has this hilarious ad from the 1980s with a very young Brandy Carlisle saying that she just just quit. I just quit. And then he comments that like after the ad, she was like on Coke for 20 years <laughs> and, and was like, I'm surprised I didn't lose my nose. I'm just like horribly, you know paraphrasing Ouch. or not so horribly paraphrasing john oliver's like i'm not even into his show but i love that because i love the topic but uh, yeah being on lockdown i can see that I mean, from my own personal experience i mean i do share on rare occasion that my ex- my quote rehab type experience or lockdown experience was that my dad played the the biggest role um, I had a lot of support from some friends, sisters, some friends where I was and and definitely um, an inner circle sort of tight knit group that was really helping me out when I hit bottom and tr- was trying to get my act together. And um, in a very, you know, yeah, desperate situation and had to really be. Yeah. F- yeah. Anyways, but my dad was like the biggest part of that. And really, like my dad was my lockdown and rehab. He was like my warden. Um he kept his eyes on me 24 seven for, I think a week to 10 days, maybe up to 10 days, 24 seven. I mean, we slept in the same room. He chaperoned me to, he came, he took me to my first meet, my first uh, one, two, three, four meetings. And, uh, he didn't know anything about what was going on, but it was advised to us. So he brought me to that. I would go for a swim hydrotherapy. I was going for a swim cause I love that. And he took me to the pool and stayed there and he was just like i'm not letting you out of my sight and i suppose it was unspoken but now learning about this condition and the solution and the problem i look back and i think like dude i would have drunk i would have drank you know oh yeah that was my rehab you know and we couldn't afford it you know he looked into it because he thought he might have to go back from work he didn't know how much time he could take off from work to look out for me Mm -hmm. and so he did research it and he was like i think he found something that I don't know what the duration was, but it was like $10,000. And he's like, oh, dude, we can't afford that. <laughs> so, so he's like, all right, I just talked to my boss and I got 10 days. and 10 days off work. And then, and and then we're going to figure out your stuff. And we did. And then I actually moved back home in with them, which was, that was my sober living environment because my parents don't really drink. Oh, your parents don't and, party. Uh, they definitely don't. Uh, they have never partied. Really? <laughs> um, I mean, I think my dad in his youth, I shouldn't say that. My dad in his youth before like marriage and family, I, I'm sure he had fun like with his family, brothers, cousins, um, and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Like maybe having some smokes, drinking, whatever. But, um, but he like, yeah, I've never seen, I suppose I've seen him party at weddings like, enjoying dancing and stuff like that but i'm not even sure that he would have been one drink deep at those weddings so it was a really safe environment for me so no it's actually interesting musing about this topic that i think is controversial or this industry because that was my equivalent oh i see was sort of like my family uh looking out for me bringing them back into the fold into the home and that was a safe environment and i stayed there for quite a while (laughs) like i was there for years 
Oh, is that right? Yeah, I was at home for years. And maybe I probably could have left after a year. (laughs) But, but. Well, you took it seriously, it sounds like. Yeah, you know what? Your family took it seriously. That's great that you had that kind of support. Not everyone everyone gets that. No, that's true. I have to be grateful for it. And absolutely true. You hear all kinds of horrendous situations that people have come from. And I just don't know how these people, the insurmountable odds, I don't know how these people are so courageous and get it and work hard and have that, you know, some people divine inspiration or self inspiration or inspiration from your, our fellows. Um, you know, people hit their bottom. Sometimes their families have had enough of them and they, they're just like, you're out, get out of here. And they realize, Oh, I'm at the end of my rope. I've got no, no support, no money, no family. I've got to figure something out here. And so out of desperation, people start getting it. Um, you know, that's basically the situation I was in is, uh, I, uh, I had hit bottom and wasn't, um, uh, you know, I kind of made myself, uh, un, undesirable, uh, to family and friends. And so I, <laughs> I needed to get, uh, I needed to figure it out on my own. And I, and I did, you know, sometimes we do that too. How about a little musical interlude? How Is about this a uh, straight edge? Yeah, great. That's four, right? Yeah. yeah. Enjoy. We're going crazy. Oh, hey, guys. Massive attack. Oh, wait, minor threat. Minor threat. <laughs> Massive attack or minor threat? Ooh. So uh, we're back. Thanks for listening to that. That is the origination of Straight Edge, and thanks to my sister for introducing me to that, and thanks to Pegasus for confirming, um, because Pegasus lived through that. I also just want to <laughs> – my mom is texting me. She loves the show. She listens to it. I hopefully she's not our one and only listener, but I suppose that would be fine because she just said, in addition to do not repeat one thing too many times, um, she did say, love you tons, mom, but nice topic. Both of you today. I admire the talk show. Very nice. Thumbs up emotic emoji. Cool. And she also said this was like, I suppose emotional or I have to be grateful. She said it has been therapeutic for myself listening to you guys because I'm learning a lot about you know the serious topic that you guys are covering um so that's uh I won't well, read I won't read the rest of it mom. shout out to Jay Quillen's mom yeah that's Sh- cool shout out to Stephanie Sh- oh shoot I'm blowing cover there oh uh, my god shout out to who uh, that was a shout out to model 167b or sorry, one six seven eight, 
and uh, shout out to um, Madison, and shout out to Shadow Lady. Lady, and Bob. Bob, shout out to Bob. Bob, um, uh, we're the only ones here tonight. And shout out to my friend in Austin, if she's listening. If you are listening, just as we talked earlier, uh, you might not be. It might be too late. The number to call in, friend from Austin, who we may identify if you call in at your discretion, the number to call in is 415-550-0511. Call us and, uh, hey, talk to us about uh, your experiences with with, uh, booze and the powdered booze and all that kind of stuff, I think. Or down if we that's are we still the, that's where the high fish wine comes from oh interesting but then i think you we lose us then we're now we're gone no no that's just that board oh we're we're still on oh great yeah i mean every show i've been listening to has has had this i thought it was just us it's i wanted to talk to the station folks about that actually um but it's bad uh, wiring i would say Okay, well... Or, or some blown component in one of these ancient Altec Lansing... Thanks, Pegasus. ...mixing boards. Well, I, at some point, we got to hunt, hunt it down and eliminate the cause. Oh, um, you're right. That's great, because that controls... Yeah, I gotcha. Oh, man, that is so good, because, yeah, I've been listening to these. Um, I guess while music's playing, it doesn't... Yeah. Know, it, it doesn't matter as much, and we can just turn that, that those sliders down when we're not listening to music, which is most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, so, so we were talking rehab. No, just like, yeah, support from family, um, rehabs versus, you know, DIY. This was a DIY rehab. That's what, that was, that's basically what happened. Um, cost-effective DIY bootstrapped rehab and I have to be grateful for it. And I am not, I have to be, I am. Um, and so that was something of interest. And also I was, um, I've been hanging out in the, shall we switch gears a little bit or? Oh, I was just, uh, flipping through a list of celebrity celebrities that have gone through rehab and it's an entirely unsurprising list. Like, you know, names that you would expect to be on it are on it. <laughs> Dennis Rodman, Gary Busey, Heidi Fleiss, Jamie Foxworth, Jeff Conaway, uh, 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 Lisa D'Amato, Mackenzie Phillips. I mean, you know, people. This is this is public information, folks. Public information. <laughs> um, it's not like you have to engage in a a request for information. What is that called? Public information request that people have to do to the government when they want documents that are sealed. FOIA request. Yeah. Something like freedom of Freedom of information Information act. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and that came up in John Oliver too. Uh, he was saying that like, it's very hard to access any complaints that have been made against rehabs and that, that you would actually, I'm taking him at his word folks again, that you would have to do that freedom of information, whatever request and wait months to get all these documents and sift through them to find out, you know, any negative experiences people have had or reported. Um, I'm taking him at his word. Oh, from the FDA or something along those lines. F S I P C F. FINRA, <laughs> like all these SIPC, uh, what, FDIC. 
Well, you know, they're a comedy. John Oliver is a comedy program, but they they do actual journalism and research. And it's, a, you know, sometimes they, I mean, it's they always dig up something funny, but it's also sad and depressing news as well. But they, they do their research. They dig and they, they come up with stuff and they, uh, I don't know that they've ever been involved in a, a lawsuit over a FOIA request that was denied by the government, but it wouldn't surprise me to learn that they got had. it. Okay. Okay. Anyways, uh, what are we shifting gears? to? Oh, well, I was going to say, I'm just thinking about basically like what's been on my mind or what I've been up to recently. And, um, inevitably guys, it all relates to recovery, <laughs> everything, um, my whole hey, my whole life is predicated on recovery. Um, so, I uh, I've been. What's all the commotion out there? Hey, it's probably it's probably a bunch of drugs. <laughs> like, um, it's like, Friday night in the Mission District. It's Friday night. Na, 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 na. What a night! <laughs> um, so I was uh, I've been nights. hanging out in the TL weekly doing some uh, community service. Tooting my horn, toot toot. Um, Oh yeah. You know what? I'm I'm actually going to say that I think it's good to some people are like community service volunteer toot your horn shamers and I actually think that like if you don't if you're not too pompous about it or really at all but you're sharing it um with people when it's relevant that it's actually good because you may actually inspire other people to engage in community service. Cause in this, in San Francisco, I mean, well, anywhere, but well, maybe not anywhere. I mean, San Francisco, we have a big drug problem. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the TL's like not looking that good. And I, I suppose it hasn't been for a long time. And I don't know, people say that it's all getting worse or whatever. I don't know. That's what I hear, but I'm hanging out there of late weekly and um i'm uh i'm starting to snap some photos as well just just happened organically so i think i'm just going to continue doing that um just uh engaging in my observations musings sharing that um maybe on on social media or with friends and stuff because it's just giving me some pause but it's, it's interesting to see all the stuff that's going on and there's like there's hella hip coffee shops in the tl there's great restaurants. There's also people hunched over sleeping on the sidewalk. There's at least a couple 24-hour diners in, okay. in the TL. Well, and I guess the Tender Knob. Oh, really? Um, yeah. There's the Pine. Oh, Pine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. Sorry, I don't remember. I didn't mean to cut you off. I don't remember the name, but I know that one. That's the one that's getting closer to like the quote hotel district yeah. in square. Yeah. 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 Night owl or something is nearby. I think. Um, yes, I have been there once blast blitzed. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so hanging out there, walking around, just spending some time. I went to, um, last week when I was there for my commitment, I, uh, I made the mistake of driving huge mistake huge mistake where would you park it yeah i parked it i found one space i was circling around for half an hour and i found one space it was metered put money in the meter and it was only good for two hours so 
I stepped away from my commitment, went to go repark the car, spent another half hour looking for a spot, and I ended up parking in the same spot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, if they chalk my tires, I hope it rubbed away. Oh, <laughs> I was just, it got me thinking about like, well, how do they assess? You know what? I, okay. So here's my question. Do now. they chalk tires anymore? Well, okay. I have a number of questions. If it says two hours only at this meter, right? I put the money, I moved it at two hours. Now, can I go park at another meter on the same block? Can I park in another meter on the same street? Can I circle around for half an hour and park at that same meter? You know what? I don't get, I don't get it for another two hours. Talk to a meter maid. Find out. Lovely Rita, meter maid. Where would I be without you? Dee 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 doo doo da da dee dee dee. So um, so then I made the mistake of parking, but that gave me some flexibility when I had some time after the commitment. I had some time on the meter, so I went to Shalimar, one of my favorite restaurants of all time. Um, and man, walking through the TL, going to Shalimar, yeah, I saw all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a lot of community centers and, and outreach and stuff as well. You see that a lot of buildings. There's also like all kinds of crazy liquor stores, um, restaurants, obviously housing, all kinds of different housing, um, people do all kinds of different people on the street. I saw, I see, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, but now having spent some, a couple months there weekly, I see drug dealing happening in broad daylight at all the, at all these intersections. Oh yeah. I'm seeing the guy I'm walking, I'm walking past at the intersection with one guy who has a wad of cash in his hand and the other guy who just got the product, right? I'm just walking between them, just minding my own business. You know, it's, it can be an open air drug mart there. It's kind of amazing. I mean, depressing too. It's, uh, yeah, there's some dedicated drug addicts living right there in the TL. But you know what? Talking to my mom, I've been talking to everybody about recovery and sobriety and addiction lately. Talking to my mom earlier today, she mentioned something interesting on, on that note. And that was, I was telling her about my experiences in the TL and she has some familiarity with it, but obviously she's like, I don't know. She's probably spent like an hour in the TL in her life, but, um, but um, she was saying, well, what about what about the truffle man in Dolores Park? You know, the truffle man in Dolores Park has Yelp reviews. He has like five stars on Yelp. He's a drug dealer. <laughs> you know, like, wait, truffles aren't drugs. No, these truffles are drug infused truffles. The, the truffle man is 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 uh, selling has been selling for a decade. As far as I know, um, drug truffles. uh Hey, I'm not saying I know from personal experience, okay? Oh, you're talking about uh, chocolate truffles, yeah, not, like, not the fungus. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Chocolate truffles that are infused with, well, perhaps psilocybin and perhaps uh-huh. mescaline and perhaps uh, MDMA and perhaps uh, THC. Um, well, if he has a positive Yelp review, then... He yeah. has, like, guys, go look at the truffle man in Dolores Park on Yelp. He's positively reviewed. That guy's a drug dealer. You know, why am I ma- why am I angry at these drug dealers in the TL? This guy is drug dealing with impunity in Dolores Park. I'm just saying this. I'm, yeah, I'm just sparking this, you know, question. 
Like, yeah, because there's classes of drugs and there's socioeconomics behind who gets to use it. And, and the police turn, you know, are, are fine with all the well ne'er-do-wells in, in Dolores Park consuming any drug that they want to be drinking open container. Oh, well, often they're like young tech bros and tech yeah. ladies uh, and hanging out and having their San Francisco experience where they're, you know, they're getting blasted in Dolores, famous Dolores Park, Upper Playground, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like they're having the, like people come from all over the world to experience San Francisco and there they are getting to sample the best from the truffle dude. Dolores Park, Drug Central. Just like the TL. Oh, my mom asked. She says, where is Shadow Lady and Madeline and Bob? Madison. Only you and Pegasus. Sorry, she sounds disappointed. Oh. <laughs> like, well, you know, it is good having, hearing those other voices. They're, uh, they do bring something. And uh, she says, oh, she, my parents, I took them to Dolores Park like a year ago. And, and my dad was just fascinated. We, we spotted the truffle man. We were at a higher vantage up higher on the hill and he was just doing his thing. And my dad was like, whoa, really? And, um, and we were obviously like, we were at the top on the bench getting the great view and people were all smoking pot. And, um, and I was just joking around with my dad and then, oh, that's the truffle man. And I explained things and, um, yeah, my, my mom asked where the other regulars are, and then she also says, in Dolores Park, regular people are doing all the drugs, including tech pros, I think she meant tech bros, and doctors and businessmen with truffles and drugs. <laughs> I took a video, and I took pictures of it, of the truffle man. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. <laughs> my, my parents, Investigative journalist. My parents took all kinds of pictures of the truffle man, because they were so fascinated. How funny with him, like just cool. impu dealing with impunity, but you know what? I mean, then of course it's like, I don't know, man, somehow whatever is happening in the TL seems bad and sad and whatever's happening in Dolores Park we, seems fine. Is it? Yeah. Is that <laughs> like, because, is that a classist like, thing? Is it a socioeconomic thing? Oh. We don't, we don't like the people who are, you know, buying the drugs in, in the TL. So we're less likely to, you know, to express that kind of libertine philosophy towards them. Well, I think, you know what? I got to say, there's got to be something. Look, I'm just shooting from the hip. I, I'm living life by the seat of my pants. I'm, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but there's got to be institutional racism, classism. There's all this stuff going on. But I do think after thinking about this and talking about it with my mom and roommate today, I do think we're also talking about the actual drugs which are being consumed. You know, my impression is that in the TL, you're probably looking at heroin and meth primarily. Mm -hmm. And in Dolores Park, you're probably not looking at heroin and meth. Oh, that's a good <laughs> you know? point. And so I do think that while I'm sure that all this stuff has to do with all kinds of oppression and racism and stuff. Uh -huh. I think that's probably the big delineator in this top, in this sort of no, that's a good situation. Point. There's probably a fair amount of weed and, uh, the happy mushrooms, drugs. weed, mushrooms, maybe peyote or mescaline. Yeah. Um, badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom, mushroom. Remember that was like the first meme. No idea what you're talking uh, about. It was like a flash animation. Okay. Um, hey, dating myself. Yeah. 
dating myself too because I can't get any dates out there. Um, 415-550-0511. You're listening to High Spirits on MutinyRadio.fm. Give this man a date. Oh, yeah. Jay Quellen <laughs> needs it. Needs the love. So, uh, yeah, experiences in the TL. So just lots of interesting stuff. There was a guy who um, a couple of weeks ago I saw had like, you know, uh, something like a tinfoil hat on legit and then was crouched over doing stuff with his bike, which was placing bagels with cream cheese like in the spokes of the bike in addition to tassels and other colorful things well that seems like a you know an efficient way to transport your bagels yeah coffee meets bagel y'all um so i was like yeah okay well there's something going on with this guy i don't know i just i just shoot from the hip i'm like it's schizophrenia or something Whoa, what is that a picture a of? A friend of mine took a wow. picture of of this oh. contraption in a park in the Mission recently. Okay, I'm I looking. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Dolores, but it starts over here. What is that? It's uh, That's like a foil-lined uh, like cigar holder or something that go, it's, that's going into an airline, like one of those little air airline you know booze bottles oh yeah and and so there's one two three Hmm. four five six seven eight (laughs) nine of these little airline you know one shot bottles that have holes drilled in them that are screwed into each other and then sealed and it's like the ouroboros of of crack pipes or something it was just the most uh unusual looking contraption and what what was it for is it was it for crack or meth or heroin it's really hard to tell but it looked like it looked like it was constructed with care and precision like every joint is drilled with some what looks to be a drill and then sealed over with some kind of electrical tape it's wow unusual that is Yes, that is interesting. It's like seen on the streets of San Francisco. Anyway, I hope all of you listeners at home were able to visualize uh, Pegasus is quite good at Pictionary Uh, or wait, what is it? uh, Charades, right? Or I don't know. Wait, what is it? Life is but a charade. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Life is all of life is on a stage and we are but the players. No, wait, I'm mixing up. Is that some Shakespeare stuff? Shakespeare! Um, So, hey, Shakespeare was a drug addict. I'm just going to start spreading all this bullshit, you know, right? Like, (laughs) hey, like all this misinformation, Alex Jones-esque stuff, like, me, me, (laughs) oh, shoot, whoa. Well, I heard the Bush, the Bush family was deep into the cocaine business. Oh, yeah, you know. Practically a cartel themselves. You know, hey, Dems, Republicans, it's all all the same thing. The Kennedy family was bootlegging whiskey from Canada. I did actually, like, apparently I fact-checked that at some point and found out that I think it wasn't true, but I could be be wrong. Was it true that Trump's... Was it Trump's father or granddaddy owned owned and operated a, a brothel in British Columbia? 
Ah, I don't really. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that I I work with a handful of Canadians, and um, they were very, you know, when, whenever I brought up uh, what's his name, the mayor of Toronto, the Boris who, Johnson. Oh wait, no. Uh, uh, John Ford was it? Um, who was a he was a drug addict and eventually died of. I don't think it was, I think he died of heart failure. Anyways, he, um, they, they would immediately bring up Trump, Trump and repeat some trope they'd heard about him. Like oh, his got it. grandfather, like the family business, real estate empire got started with a, oh, boy. a hotel in BC that was, uh, that was operated as a brothel. And, um, that's where the family fortune began. That's how, that's how it all started. Anybody with money out there, guys, they were operating just vice businesses. You know, you got to look out for that. <laughs> okay. So if you're just joining us, you know, we're just being a little tongue in cheek here. Um, but, uh, yeah, throwing out the, uh, I forgot where I was, but, um, yeah. So back to the TL really good, really good coffee spots. Um, all the UC Hastings is out there. So you got all the, like, uh, wide eyed, you know, law students who don't know any better living in that stuffy ass tower, um, between civic center and TL. And, uh, then you have all the civil servants, the federal employees, the people, civic center. I was like, why? Why is all this stuff happening next 